Our Old Testament reading today is from Exodus 18. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, I will give you advice. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard cases, they brought to Moses. But any small matter, they decided themselves. Our New Testament reading and sermon passage today is from 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. For those of you watching online, welcome. We're in a series, we're looking at spiritual gifts. This is God's design over you to serve the church in a very special way. And this is the Holy Spirit supernaturally changing your heart to use your talents, your abilities to build up others in Christ Jesus. Now, last week, uh, we saw the necessity of the gifts and that the gifts are to bring maturity and completeness in the church. Uh, This is when God's people are using their gifts and the church becomes healthy and the church is able to grow and the church is able to pursue the Great Commission with much fruitfulness. Now today what we're gonna do is we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we're looking specifically how does gifting, spiritual gifting fit into the context of the church being many parts but one body. So today we'll look at verses four through seven. We'll look at the common good and that is the call to serve. And then we'll look at verses 14 through 20, the common body, that is a call to commitment. And then lastly, we'll look at verse 31, which is an uncommon way, and it's really the call to love. What's our big idea? It's this, as Jesus has served you, serve one another through your spiritual gifting in love. As Jesus has served us, let us serve one another in love through our spiritual gifting. Uh, Let's go to the Lord and first let us pray. Speak, O Lord, and cause our faith to rise, cause our eyes to see your majestic love 
and authority. Holy Spirit, would you please come now open the eyes and our hearts so that we might see Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. So the first point is the common good. Look at verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that there are different spiritual gifts for serving the church. Now, last week we discussed how there's at least 19 that are mentioned in the New Testament. And what we see here in verses 4 through 6 is though there are different gifts to serve the church, there is the same Spirit who is the source, or if you will, the power of them all. Now, what we want to do is look at verse 7 and slow down there. This diversity of gifts is given for the common good. Now, that word for common good in the original language is, uh, the Greek language is sum pharaoh. It is a compound word. Sum, or some, means with, and pharaoh is the second word. Now, pharaoh, you might think, means fear. That's actually wrong, it's phobos. Uh, Pharaoh means to bear or to carry someone or something with endurance. In the New Testament time, it was a word that means to advantage someone, to profit them. But it also had like an undertone or if you will, a, a connotation of to advantage someone at your own personal cost, uh, that you are willing to profit them over the long haul. So one way to think about this word is it's bearing up one another enduringly. It's making sure that that person gets all the way there. Now, as soon as you hear that, perhaps particular images come into your mind. Um, When I was reading and studying through this, I had a song come to my mind. Uh, When I was a kid growing up, Saturday morning was uh, cleaning day, chores day at our house. And um, this is back in the 70s, and we had an intercom system. Some of you remember that? And so my dad, being clever, he hooked the Wi-Fi into the intercom system. And so my mom, don't laugh, would get out Neil Diamond, uh, the Taproot uh, album. And um, one of the first songs is Cracklin' Rosie, and that kind of got us all, you know, you know, pumped up to do our chores. And then, uh, but one of the songs that's always stuck with me is, um, it's actually, I found out it's a cover tune from the Hollies, but he ain't heavy, he's my brother. And these lyrics have always stuck with me. The, lo- the road is long, with many a winding turn, that leads us to know, to, to who knows where, who knows where, But I'm strong, strong enough to carry him. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. So on we go, his welfare is of my concern. No burden is he to bear, we'll get there. That's sum Pharaoh, carrying one another. Now some of you, when you hear that, it's not a song that comes to mind, perhaps it's a person. And you think of a friend, you think of a spouse, you think of a parent, and someone who is carrying you. They have stuck with you. They help you be whom you are supposed to be. Now, Paul, when he's thinking of this word, he's thinking of the church. 
And what he's thinking of is the members of the church are making time out of their own schedule, out of their own lives, to build up others so that they would reach maturity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is thinking of those caring, literally caring one another, spiritually, emotionally, physically even, enduringly. He's thinking of focusing what is best for the other person so that they are growing in Christ. Now, as we think of this, we need to pause and we need to even just marvel at how this fits into God's plan for the church and the growth of his kingdom. The church has a very high calling. What is our calling? It is the Great Commission. Jesus gave us marching orders, if you will. We are to go and make disciples, not just of our own little group, but of all nations. And then he says, we are to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and we are to teach them to obey everything that the Lord Jesus has taught. What a high calling. We are to grow the kingdom of God. And yet there's a problem. See, the problem is we're broken. (laughs) We are those who are needy. We are those who are weak. We are those who are sinful. And often in that great commission, we fail in doing it. We have not finished the task. And so we say, God, is this really your design? Seems like you have a little bit too much trust in us. And God says, no, I do have complete trust because I've given you my spirit. And these are the purposes, if you will, for the spiritual gifts. They are God's means to strengthen and equip the church, even when the church is weak. And these are gifts to give the church so that we would have a growing faith and a faith that is a working faith, a faith that is accomplishing and doing the Great Commission. So when we talk about common good, it's being used by God through your gifting and serving to mature other Christians and to grow them strong in Jesus. One way to think about this in a very practical way is look around at one another, it's okay. Look at the person next to you. (laughs) Part of common good is you're saying, I want you to know God. I want you to glorify God. I want you to enjoy God. I want you to serve God. I want you to grow his kingdom. That is common good. And so when we think about serving others, often we just think, oh, that just means I'm helping out. It is helping out, but it's so much more. (laughs) It's helping a person be whom that person is supposed to be in Christ Jesus. It's maturing them. It's completing them. It's seeing their faith perfected into Christ. And so common good, if you will, it's reaching the goal that all would be mature in Christ. Now that's the common good. Our second point is the common body. Look at verse 14 and following. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, 
yet one body. Here the apostle, he's saying the church body is like a human body. It's composed of different members and each member is doing its own particular function working together. And what we see here in this short passage is there is a radical and yet reasonable commitment to one another. So let's talk about this radical commitment. Can you imagine if your body parts had a rebellion? That's what Paul's getting at. The foot says, I no longer want to be part of the body. <laughs> now, yet it cannot function on its own. The foot radically needs the rest of the body. That's just part of its design. If the foot, gruesome, calling it out, were cut off, um, the foot would no longer have a blood supply. The foot would no longer have oxygen. The foot then would wither. The foot then would die. And so literally, it cannot exist apart from the body. So it's part of design, but there's also identity. If you cut off a foot, it still is part of a body. It's just disconnected. It's still a foot, but it's a cut off foot. It's a dead foot. And when it's connected, then it is a live foot. It's still a foot. And that's what Paul is saying. You who are Christian, you radically need the church body. It's part of your design. See, the church body, the others here, not only in this congregation, but God's family, if you will, around the world, <laughs> those people are part of the body and we need them to help live in Christ. Now, some of them might say, okay, you're just being exaggerative, hyperbole. A person just needs God. And I say, okay, yes, I get it. You can, you know, be stranded on your deserted isle and still be a Christian. But that's not normal life, is it? What Paul talking, is talking about here is everyday Christian life, we need other Christians. And what do we need those Christians to do? We need Christians to speak grace into us. We need Christians to, if you will, example grace for us. We need Christians to give grace to us. We need this grace that is coming through the body of Christ. See, like blood and oxygen and nutrients, the body of Christ gives us the word and the sacraments and the prayer. And through these things, this is part of the design of God's body that we need one another to have a vitality, to grow in Christ. It's also part of our identity though. We are all part of one body, whether we like it or not. So whether we want to be part of a church or not, when you are Christian, you are part of Christ's body. You are part of his family. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, the Lord Jesus says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. He's not saying that family is not important. He's not teaching somehow or not to care for our family. What the Lord Jesus is saying is something very radical. What he's saying is, is we have a radical bond in the church that's deeper than even a family because he is the source. He is our unity that is beyond even familial unity. And what he's saying there is there's a radical commitment, but this radical commitment is incredibly reasonable. Let me give the example of self-care. 
Self-care, if you will, in a physical sense, an body sense, is feeding yourself, getting enough sleep, exercising, doing things like that. So let's just focus on feeding. How do you get food to your mouth? <laughs> in a most typical way, uh, we get food to our mouth by, not pro presenter, but by our hand, <laughs> all right? And so we have these hands, we have arms, and it moves the food to our mouths. Now, even if you're like a kid and you just put your face into the plate, all right, you're still using your torso, you're still using your neck, and so you need different body parts to actually get your mouth to the food. Even if someone else is like physically feeding you, it is their hand, it is their body that is feeding what you need. So in, even in most basic self-care, the whole body is working together. It's the same thing with sleep. You need to get your body to move to get to a bed. And once you're in bed, you need to be able to have a mind that can relax and you need to have lungs that are breathing. Even when you're exercise, it's your arms, it's your legs, it's your heart doing cardio. What's the point? Self-care requires a reasonable use of all parts of the body. It just makes sense. And that's what Paul is saying. It's the same with the church. Different parts do different things in the church, but all are necessary to make the body work and to work well. Put it differently. Just as our human bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139, what we see here is the church body is fearfully and wonderfully made, each one having a particular function, role, part, making this church body work well. Just as the human body is radically dependent upon all its body part members, if you will, so the church body is radically dependent upon all its members. So what is common body? It's a commitment to one another, both that is radical and yet reasonable. Now, before we go to the third point, we need to talk about the motive in using our gifts to serve the church. Let's go back to the first point, common good. See, when I say, and the word is saying, you know, you, you have this common good to serve the church, you can interpret that and say, okay, I ought to serve. Um, it's the right thing to do to build up others in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so out of the goodness of my heart, um, out of mercy, out of pity, perhaps even out of duty, out of duty, I must carry others along. And so I ought to serve the church. And then when we look at the second point, the common body, someone might say, well, that just means you have to serve because you're part of this body and it's inescapable. This is what God has chosen you to be. And so you have to serve because you are radically dependent upon others. There's like this obligation. If you do not serve, then others wither and they suffer. So this ought to serve and have to serve, they're both true. And they're actually both, if you will, good reasons to serve, but we have to be cautious. Because often, have to, ought to, can be used as guilt. And though guilt is very powerful, it is not the proper motivator. In fact, guilt is what we call a demotivator. What is a demotivator? It's something that actually brings you down, that actually brings you up. 
A demotivator works in this way. A demotivator, it doesn't really give you the strength or energy to have endurance to keep on going when the road is long. Um, Guilt doesn't give you power to bear the cost freely, joyfully. Guilt does not actually reproduce good fruit because what does guilt do? It only does the bare minimum. It only does what it thinks it is necessary so that people don't bother you. And so what we see here is we need a better way, a better motivator, and that's our third point, that uncommon way. So drop down to verse 31, the last verse in chapter 12. Here the Apostle Paul says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now what's he getting at? What follows is what's called the love chapter, and that's chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. That's very familiar. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. And so what he goes on and what he's saying is, is love takes the ought to and the have to, and it transforms them. Those things which are common motivators, you know, you got to do it. And it gives them life. And love becomes, if you will, the most excellent motivator in serving the church with your gifting. So what we see here is, you know, um, you can serve those who are easy, but in church life, often, you have to serve those who are not so easy. We love one another in this church, but it is fair to say sometimes we're mean, (laughs) sometimes we're ungrateful. There are gonna be those who complain, there are gonna be those who find fault, but it even gets, if you will, worse. You're gonna serve with your gifting and there's gonna be those who resist it. There are gonna be those who lack faith. They're gonna actually treat your acts of service with suspicion, like why are you doing this? There are gonna be those who are stuck in bad patterns and your gifting is not gonna be able to actually bring them out of that bad pattern. And so we might be asking ourselves, then why even serve? But then there's going to be times when you you yourself do not want to serve. You're you're going to be feeling mean. (laughs) You're not going to be feeling charitable. You're going to be holding a grudge. You're going to be lacking faith. There's going to be times when you're tired. There's going to be times when you're busy. There's going to be times when you say, you know what, I've served way too many times in too many ways. How can I keep going on serving? Ought to and have to doesn't work in those situations. And so we need this better way. And that's what the apostle is doing. He's focusing our eyes on the Lord Jesus. Friends, who is the source of all the gifts? What we've been seeing is Jesus is the source. He is the king. Remember we saw that back in Psalm 68. Jesus is this king. And as a king, he is a generous king. And he gives us good gifts. And the most wonderful gift that he gives is salvation and grace to his people. And so here's the apostle, and he's putting our eyes upon the Lord Jesus because he wants us to see how there is a more excellent way, and that more excellent way is love, and that love comes through Jesus and his serving us. Think about the words that our Lord Jesus spoke. 
Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but you remember, but to serve. Jesus came to serve us. That's amazing. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form God, did not e count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, why are you to serve in this way? Because Christ has served you first in the most ultimate way. What did Jesus do? Jesus went to the cross and he went to the cross to pay the full penalty of our sin. And when our sin is paid in full, that means we are free. When Jesus was here, when he lived on the earth, he lived the law perfectly, righteously. And then that means the law and its demand has been met through him. And that means we are now set free. Jesus, when he was resurrected, he blew his Holy Spirit. He gave the Spirit to us freely. There is nothing we can do to earn or deserve God's favor. Jesus has done it all for free. Friends, we are free. So what do we do with this freedom? Here, we serve in this freedom because Jesus freely served us. What do we do with this freedom? We put others first because Christ has put us first. We love others because Christ has loved us. And so this freedom does something amazing. It takes that ought to and turns it into I want to. It takes that I have to and it turns it into I'm eager to do. Love becomes the mode of the serve when you're not appreciated. You're gonna use your gifts and there's not gonna be applause. Someone might not even notice. But you continue to serve because what's the goal? The goal is that that person is built up in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. And so when you see how much he has loved you, then you say, oh, I gotta love you. And I want other people to love the same way you have loved me. And so I'm gonna serve and love them, even though there might not be appreciation. Love is the motive to serve, even if you do not know your gifting. One of the things I've been hearing as we've been preparing for the workshop is people have been saying, you know what? This really frightens me. <laughs> I don't think I have a gift, or if I have a gift, I don't wanna use my gift, or I'm afraid that if I commit to gifting, um, who knows what's gonna happen? There's this fear of the unknown. And so love, though, becomes a motive because it says, I can test my gifting. I have freedom to fail. I have freedom to say, let's just see if this is the gift. I don't have to have it all right. As someone pointed out, gave me a wonderful quote, uh, G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton says, if something is worth doing, it is worth even doing poorly. 
Isn't it amazing? And so love becomes this motivator for a faith to say, God, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try because I love you and because you've put me part of this body, I wanna see them growing in Christ and so I'm gonna try this gifting. It's not about me. Hear this also, love empowers you to say no. This is very important. You're not called to do all things. You're called to do what Jesus has called you to do. And so grace actually protects you from burnout. Grace says you can actually say no. Grace says I've tried and that wasn't a good fit. (laughs) This also then matures our minds to say we need need to have vision. This is why we train up others. This is why we delegate. This is why we see everyone using their gifts so that there is no more burnout. Let's go back to love trying new things. It's a faith that says, God, I want to see you do immeasurably more. Isn't that a good dream and want for our church? That God is at work in our body right now and we're saying, God, we want you to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to the power and glory that is at work in your body here. We want to see this body grow. And so part of this love motivator is God, by faith, Would you extend us beyond our natural means? So gifting in one sense is God using your natural ability, but it's the supernatural of changing your heart, changing your mind so that you have a motive that's a motive of love that comes from God. Heidelberg, catechism number one. Some of you who have been raised in the Dutch Reformed tradition know this. What is your only comfort in life and death? that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. What the Heidelberg Catechism is getting at, getting at is we have this radical commitment and dependence upon Jesus because he is our life. What Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 12 is we have that same radical commitment and dependence upon one another because we are in the body of Christ. What he's saying is, as we belong to Christ, we also belong to his body. And as we are committed to Christ and his kingdom and his great commission, then I am committed to grow his people in his grace. Today at the end of the service, as Pastor Clay said, about 11.30, we're going to go through um, a time of food and fellowship, we're also going to do this equipping the saints, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And so if you are here and you're saying, but I didn't do the homework, that's okay. That's actually perfect. We're going to go through how to actually do this on our own, but also as a group. You might be saying, but I didn't bring any food. That's all right. There's a lot of food down there. You might be saying, this is my first time here. We're glad you're here. Come on down. What we're asking is, if you have time, would you please come? And so that you would enjoy this time of learning how to use your gifting. As Jesus has served us, let us serve one another in love with our spiritual gifting. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you came to serve us. You, the King, The king came to serve us and to love us and to save us. 
You generously give us your spirit, and through your spirit, we have grace to believe upon you. We have grace to have assurance of salvation. We have grace to follow you in faith, but also will you give us grace to serve your body, the church. God, what we're praying is that we would faithfully use your gifts to build up your church all to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come forward. And as they're coming forward, I'm gonna ask you to stand as we will sing, take my life and let it be.